Funding for Elwood City Limits is brought to you by Leanne S., John Dulong, and Joe Sias Melendez. Listeners like you. Become a supporter of the podcast today at patreon.com slash Elwood City Limits. Funding for Elwood City Limits is brought to you by Facebook. Facebook.com slash Elwood City Limits. Twitter. At ECL Podcast. Tumblr. ElwoodCityLimits.tumblr.com. Email. ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. And by contributions from listeners like you. Literally at ElwoodCityLimits.Libson.com. Thank you. Cha-ching, cha-ching, baby. Lucas, you can't, you can't see this, right? Uh, no, I, I do not believe this is a uh, a video connection. So, you, so you you can't see what I'm doing? Uh, no, this is uh getting a little strange, but I I cannot see anything right now. Well, if you could see what I'm doing right now, uh, I'm so, I'm so angry and frustrated <laughs> that I, I've clenched my my hand, oh. what they call a fist. <laughs> And I have placed that fist uh, at about uh, belt level, at about hip level. Okay. And, if and uh, in the universal sign of <laughs> mimetic frustration. <laughs> if only we had Google video calling, and much like Chrissy Teigen, I could see that your fist is clenched. But unfortunately, uh, this is just a Skype call. It, so it, you I, know, I, I, I can only see it in the theater of the mind, Will. You know, maybe that's how we should start all of our podcasts. We should just uh, uh, start, you know, how it goes. You know, there's our Patreon, there's our cold open, then there's the theme song. We should just both start with us going, Arthur! <laughs> it's direct and to the point. Yeah, nobody would, that would never get old. <laughs> and uh, Yeah, it's, uh, well, I'm, I'm, I, I must admit, I'm not actually frustrated. I'm actually in a pretty good mood because we're here to record another episode of Elwood City limits and i hope you feel the same lucas oh i am i am rearing to go it's a it's a lovely wednesday uh and it's getting topped off and made all the much better uh by watching an episode of arthur so let's let's get into it that's right welcome to elwood city limits this is will young coming at you we're into season four so if this is your first episode welcome welcome we're happy to have you and that's my co-host lucas mancini hello hello so, uh, we are in the first episode of Season 4. Very exciting. And, of course, if you couldn't tell from that uh, that hint at the beginning of the episode, it's a big one that we're talking about here. And we're going to get into it all. Uh, of course, it would hardly be an episode these days if we didn't have a piece of email. And we do over at ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. So, before we get into all that, we're throwing it over to Yoshi uh, at, Elwood, at ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. Com. Yoshi wishes us well. First, wants to say uh, uh, that she. So Yoshi has uh, two points. Uh, one, uh, Wally, George's puppet from a few episodes ago, appears many times throughout Arthur, starting around season six. She's not sure what the hiatus is, but we will see more of Wally. More of Wally is to come. You don't know what you got till it's gone. Um, distance makes the heart grow fonder, and they knew they had to just keep Wally from us so we'd be begging for them to bring him back. 
And the second thing is, is Yoshi went to elementary school in California, and they had milk bags. So, Will, am I to understand that we're getting conflicting reports in regards to the milk bag? Because I was taking a look at our Facebook DMs at the Elwood City Limits Facebook page, Mm -hmm. and I was reading reports quite the contrary, that there was someone saying there was absolutely no milk bags in the United States. Yeah, it's uh, where a report has just slid across my desk. Great controversy as to the uh, as to the uh, the milk bag sitch. Yeah, the milk bag situation. Uh, do, do okay. Here's something for you. Last time you went grocery shopping, did you see any milk bags? Do, do we still sell milk in bags here in Canada? Or is yes. that yeah? No, no, okay, we definitely we still have milk bags. Yeah, okay, yeah, very yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. I, I I may not even notice them at this point. So just wanted to make sure that we indeed do. Yoshi says it was the talk of the playground when the lunchroom made the switch from cartons, maybe around fourth grade, which was 2002. Why did they think bags were better? Um. Oh, maybe- wait a minute. Wait a minute. Are is Yoshi referring to like individual sized milk bags, like a like a Slurpee but with milk inside? Because I, cartons for a lunch are like hmm. individual single serving cartons. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I do. Uh, I mean, maybe it was noticeable when they would. I, you know what the short answer is? I don't know. Uh, I can't imagine a uh, a milk bag being like personal sized. That seems very strange to me. Well, the milk bag rabbit hole just gets deeper. <laughs> you thought we we you thought we dug ourselves some holes with animal hierarchy and where Elwood City Limits is? No, we're getting lost in milk bags. <laughs> just just what I thought we would never have the answers to such great questions like is Arthur's dad a Republican? Now we have this whole milk bag thing to tussle with. Uh, Yoshi says, "Keep on keeping on," and sorry about the NBA, Lucas. Um. Talk about okay. Uh, we that that's okay. We don't have people, to. I have something people. else that I want us to talk about. It's this article that I came across. You know, I have a uh, a Google alert on any anytime something new in Arthur comes up in a Google search, and I was directed to uh, an article that was just published about uh, Arthur characters if they went to UC Berkeley in California. <laughs> it's oddly uh, specific. <laughs> yeah. It's a it's an interesting read on the on www.dailycal.com. Daily it, Cal? It's actually called the Daily Clog, a Cal blog by the Daily Californian. So this oh is you, so God. we're talking about we're talking about regional humor when it comes to our weather. This is as regional as it gets. But uh, some interesting general observations here from the person who wrote this article. That would be. Uh, the author's name is Sonny Sichi. Of course, uh, their name is Sonny. They're in <laughs> California. Sonny says Arthur would be an English major. Yep, that's which, with a bullet. Uh, Buster would be a nutritional sciences and toxicology major and would also teach uh, baking. Hmm. Uh, there's a lot of references to like uh, things around UC Berkeley that I'm afraid I don't understand. Francine would play Division One women's soccer and would major in molecular and cell biology, hoping to go into sports medicine if she doesn't end up making the U.S. women's soccer team. I got to say, that is a really, really good, specific uh, Francine character uh, ima- imagine right there. 
Yeah, I, I I would say that in more ways than one, Hope Solo of the U.S. American soccer team is a real Francine counterpart uh, in personality and in athletic skill. Uh, does does the article perchance say which Arthur character smokes the most weed? No, it's uh, it's pretty all ages here. They do not go into uh, into that. I'll just uh, finish this up quickly. Uh, the brain gets into EECS, which is Electrical Engineering and Computer Science. Muffy is a business major, which makes sense. Uh, DW being, uh, and this is a quote here, being the queen of arguments, DW would be a political science major. God help us all. Hoping Could you imagine? Run, hoping to run for president someday. <laughs> well, hey, uh, the, the bar for president is uh, pretty darn low these days. And I, I and who knows? Maybe DW, uh, even from a young age, she knew that she had to figure out where she stood on the issues. She couldn't just get in there uh, from popularity alone. She won't be able to use the excuse, but I'm just a child anymore, unfortunately. But no, I'm sure she'll she, adapt. It's going to wring that one dry. Anyway, just wanted to make sure that we talked about that real quick. It's an imaginative article. And if you found any other uh, Arthur-type articles that are uh, weirdly specific for your region, or if you just want to send us an email, elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com is the way to go. Did you have bagged milk? Let us know. Yeah, actually. Uh, Bagged milk. Let's keep it going. Want to know your thoughts and your experiences. So this is indeed the first... uh, episode of season four i know i've said that a bunch of times by this point uh we this so season four takes place in 1999 uh that's when the production schedule kind of happened and we do have uh one major casting change to arthur at this point which we will get into very shortly this first uh, story we're talking about is dw's library card uh it starts off with <laughs> now, arthur will yeah. it's yeah, funny yeah. you mentioned a casting change because my first note on this episode is, uh, DW's voice sound different? Question mark. And there it is. You got it exactly right. Uh, goodbye, farewell to Michael Kalos as DW. The new actor is Oliver Granger. So this is DW's new voice for a couple of seasons. It's interesting because when I watched Arthur, it was in syndication already. So I didn't necessarily watch them in linear order like we are today uh, Well, with this podcast. And what's interesting is as a kid, I guess kids are just less discerning overall. But I don't think I ever noticed a difference between the old episodes and the new episode and DW's voice acting. So I didn't know this was coming. I was very surprised. I definitely didn't know when it was going to happen, and truth be told, I did forget about it a bit as well. So it was a surprise to me too, especially you know, I, I and I apologize if you kind of if this is part of your point, Lucas. It's just that you know we are doing the deepest of deep dives on Arthur, so we I uh, I feel like I know these voices like the back of my hand at this point. So whenever there is the slightest change to what I'm expecting, then it sticks out immediately. No, yeah, and and it's almost to the point where, it, for me, I kind of got a little bit distracted with parts of this episode because I, I, I'm sure I'll get used to it. I'm sure it was his name Oliver does a fine job. Um, I uh, it's just something I have to get used to for now. Absolutely. Uh, so DW is bothering Arthur at the library as he's talking about all the things to love about the library, which is true. Uh, she's trying to get him to very incrementally read the title of the book she's reading, which is The Red Dog. And 
Arthur's going on this whole thing about like the best thing about the library is is it's quiet and like points to a no talking sign. But I have to call BS on this because they talk in the library all the time. That's true. But I mean the idea is you're supposed to be quiet. It's pretty rude to be screaming in a library. And you would think you would think through this whole cold open that one of them would get shushed by somebody else and I was just waiting for it to happen, but it doesn't. It's just at the end when Arthur is like talking and he tells DW to be quiet, then DW comes back and says, The sign says no talking. There's also a really great moment where uh, when DW's trying to get him to write, read, excuse me, The Red Dog, uh, Arthur says, don't you see the sign that says no talking? And DW claps back, again, that political science um, know-how. She claps back immediately with, if I can't read the title of that book, how am I going to be able to read that sign? DW's logic is sound. It carries. And uh, it's Arthur's fault for not picking up the pieces there. So she is within her rights. Uh, the actual episode also starts in the library. Um, DW is reading about Chopin, the composer, with Binky. Binky says one of my favorite words in the English language. That would be Rondo. <laughs> so, now, talking about one of Chopin's uh, compositions. When you hear Rondo, what's the first thing you think of? <laughs> I have a feeling it's going to be the same thing. Uh, I believe it's Castlevania. Castlevania. Ron- Rondo of Blood. Exactly. Yeah. Um, what is a man but a miserable pile of secrets? I don't think I knew Rondo was a uh, uh, something to do with symphonies. Well, it makes sense because almost all Castlevania Castlevania games have like a musical related thing in their subtitle. You know, yeah. Symphony Symphony of the Night, Rondo of Blood, Aria of um, Sorrow, Aria of Sorrow. What's an aria? Um, but regardless, it's, a, it's, it's an opera term. Oh, okay. But so that's I think that's how I figured out what a rondo was, and the only other time I've ever heard the term rondo was in reference to uh, Castlevania. Arthur almost catches Binky reading a book about a composer, and then he quickly puts a like karate magazine in front of it, and it's and... a comic I think starring uh, Karate Koala. Okay. D.W. says, you know, Binky was teaching me about Chopin. And Binky's like, uh, his name's not Chopin. His name is Choppin, and he's a karate master. You weren't paying attention. So a very good save. This whole episode kind of, well, okay. This, I shouldn't say this whole episode, but at least the inciting incident for what happens here uh, is what happens next. D.W. spots a book on a cart and wants Arthur to borrow it for her. But then this is one of the the inciting kind of conflict that leads us to the point of the episode. Arthur refuses to take out a book called Hop Along the Frog uh, on his account because then he's afraid his account will be flagged and that he can only, from that point on, he'll only be able to take out baby books. And we get this whole detailed imagination about how, like, they basically sound the alarm on Arthur, they lock him in the library. And it's just like, sorry, Arthur, you can only take out baby books. Arthur's dream sequences, especially when they involve the librarian, are like, they remind me of the movie Brazil. Like, this authoritarian librarian with like, oh, that rhymed. That's good. For you mm. rappers out there, you can steal that one. Um, but they always have these contraptions. Like, I, I had flashbacks to the episode where the long arm of the law got Arthur. 
Mm. Um, and the crank like dragged Arthur back to the library. There's always these giant like Pee Wee Herman esque contraptions. And in this case, uh, in Arthur's imagination, it gets he gets dressed as a baby by these animatronic arms. And then they also take a Polaroid photograph of him just to add insult to injury. And then when we get back to reality, Arthur has a really great line where he's explaining why he's not going to take out Hopple on the Farog. And he says, it, the stakes are just too... He says, uh, there's just too much at stake, DW. Which is hilarious because this is one of the most low-stakes episodes of Arthur we've encountered yet. <laughs> like, uh, my exact note was here, uh, I said, okay, Arthur, your anxiety is getting stupid. We know we. it's been well-documented that, you know, nobody wants to look like a baby. That's one of the big slurs of Arthur and that Arthur worries about things. And trust me, I get worrying about things that will never happen. But this was just a bridge too far for me. This was ridiculous. It really and hit home when it's coming out of the uh, fantasy sequence and we hear the word baby, baby, like echo. Yeah. Baby, Miss Turner's baby books quote is really echoing. And, uh, yeah, and, and then we also hear, like, Arthur's a baby, Arthur's, yeah. So, of course, this isn't meant to be a accurate reflection of reality or anything, but it's just, like, Arthur, we've had Arthur worry about better things, let's say. And I feel like there was a better way for us to get into the actual meat of this episode, which is that DW says that one day she'll have her own library card and she'll be able to take out books whenever she wants. In fact, she brings it up immediately after when she goes to a Mr. Ratburn puppet show, which is which is kind of funny in uh Miss Turner asks, like, does anybody have any questions? And the DW's like, when can we get our own library card? And I guarantee you that puppet show was not about library cards at all. The big twist here is that DW can't get a library card unless she's able to write her own name. And DW of course can't read, which means that she definitely can't write. And there's a quick throwaway gag. You want uh I we really got to come up with something here of like Simpsons type gags because I feel I was like we... just gonna say this is totally a Simpsons gag. I it is, but I feel like we maybe point that out a bit too much. So maybe at this point we just have to admit that sometimes the Arthur writers can achieve Simpsons level uh, uh Simpsons levels of humor. Like let's just say it's a Simpsons type gag, aka what's hereby known as a good joke. <laughs> <laughs> We, uh, you know what? I'm gonna have. Maybe I'll have to look for like a good joke drop or something. Uh, I'll have to. Oh, I'll have to think about that one. But yes, good joke here. As uh, the Tibbles uh, say, it's not so bad. At least DW isn't. DW's name isn't Aloysius Zimmerplots. And then pan over to the other end of the table. This this especially nerd looking guy is trying to write his own name on a piece of paper. And then he just goes, oh, no, I ran out of room again. He could only fit the first three letters of Zimmerplots in. It was Alo- He got Aloysius, but then he got to Z-I-M. And, and he looks like an Aloysius Zimmerplots. He's got, like, uh, tight orange hair, these yellow square spectacles, and, like, a red jacket. Like, if Aloysius Zimmerplots had an Instagram now, he'd be famous. Aloysius Zimmerplatz is really close to, uh, it reminded me of another gag from Superbad where uh, um, uh, Jonah Hill is saying, do you want me to eat lunch by myself like Steven Glansberg? And then it cuts to, hard cuts <laughs> to Steven Glansberg eating lunch by himself. 
it's you saying that also reminds me of a gag uh, of kind of a similar gag from the tick of like every once in a while they would go at least he's not as bad as lower back pain man (laughs) cuts to this guy who is doubled over in like a superhero costume and his catchphrase was i'll be okay in a minute (laughs) i love lower back pain man uh so i i wrote at this point this episode feels like it's going by in a flash we are not even five minutes in, and we've had, like, okay, so uh, Arthur's at the library. He's afraid of taking out a book because he doesn't want to be seen as a baby. So is going to get her own library card, but she can't write her own name. And it feels like we're, like, throwing a lot of stuff at the viewer. Well, yeah. Both of these episodes, um, I think this is this is just an example of how quickly these episodes seem to fly by is that I have about 20 notes written for the comedy. Like usually I have about three pages of notes written down for the two episodes. I have barely a page and a half this time. Uh, Hmm. and it's not to say that we'll get into final judgments later on in the show, but I, these, both of these episodes are just brisk with the pace. Mm hmm. DW spends some time at the kitchen table with some paper and a pencil just trying to write her own name, but it's not coming very easily. And then by the end of the day, uh, the bo- the best she's able to muster, as Arthur says, is Dopa Minifred Reaped. DW is very dejected at dinner and is kind of fiddling around with her mashed potatoes. And somehow there's no real like change here other than the fact that she practiced a bunch and didn't seem to get it. She's able to write Dora Winifred in her mashed potatoes, and then Dad gives her some more mashed potatoes, and she's able to write her full name in the mashed potatoes and without much uh, much changing in between scenes. Uh, it's, but in we the, do... it's in the mashed potatoes. It's like DW is in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Yeah, next she's she going to be... holds up the mashed potatoes. What does this look like to you? <laughs> and then she has a great line here that says, Look out, world, DW Reed writes. The whole anxiety that she's going through at this point is that she needs to be able to write her own name when she goes up to get her own uh, library card. And the Tibbles predict she's totally going to brick it. Uh, so she's like, we're playing the tense music. She's like panicking as she goes up to the table. She's afraid she'll forget her own name. And I just wrote down, this feels really low stakes, even if I even if I was a kid. Like, it's just true, but I kind of got a kick out of it. Like, it almost wrapped around for me where this is almost so cartoonish and insane. The fact that, like, because you and I both know if she can't write her name, like, they're still going to give her the library card if she just wrote DW. Yeah. It's, and especially because it's not like she's, like, signing a form or anything. She's signing the back of the card because when she signs the card, spoilers, she signs the card, she does it properly. Uh, the librarian takes it and hands it back to her immediately. Yeah, really. And she does it and she does it right the first time, so she had nothing to worry about. So DW gets her own library card. Arthur meme alert here, one that I saw very recently actually. Uh DW kind of cradles the card and gets an evil look on her face and she says, Now I know what true power feels like. Definitely I think I think even on uh uh at ECL Podcast on Twitter. I think we retweeted that in the last week. Uh, so DW is very excited, and now she can borrow Hop Along the Frog at her leisure. So DW wants to borrow Hop Along the Frog at this point, but it seems to be out until next Saturday. So she has to wait an agonizing week to get her hands on the book. And there's a quick little montage of like Miss Turner being essentially uh, bothered by DW at all hours as to when the book comes in. 
I'll note here, Miss Turner eating her lunch at the main desk. That's, uh, there's no, like, staff room she can go to or somebody to relieve her? Yeah, where are all the other employees at this library? My mom works at a library, and it's a multi-person job, but it seems like Miss Turner, she's shushing people. And when she's out there shushing people, who's at the front desk? I guess it's all the animatronic arms. Hmm. Uh, so finally, we get to Saturday. DW wakes up Arthur, and she says, uh, Arthur, wake up. Tomorrow's today, and today is yesterday. And she hands him this great, it looks like Fruity Pebbles or something, this great-looking bowl of cereal. That's uh, that's Crunch Cereal, dog. Oh, of course. How could I forget? I feel like last time we saw Crunch Cereal, though, it looked like uh, Corn Pops. It, it was all just beige. But yeah. This is, this is it, like the Oops All Berry version of Crunch Cereal. Maybe it's like Munch Cereal, where it's... Uh, those, that's when it's multicolored. Oh. That would be, see, that, again, that idea is for free. Lucas has got the rhymes. I've got the uh, the advertising uh, know-how. <laughs> uh, Together we're unstoppable. Uh, I wrote a note here especially. I can't remember if it, there was any particular line. I think it was actually during, so they go to the library and uh, the book hasn't been returned yet because Miss Turner says it might be late. And it was at this point that, no disrespect to Oliver Granger, uh, DW's new voice actor, but I, I, I wrote the note, I think DW's new voice actually makes her more annoying, which is uh, which is too bad, because like as we discovered in the first three seasons of this show, uh, we love DW, and her voice is a big... Uh, is a big uh, uh, her voice is a big way in which she kind of got over with us and right now it's kind of she feels a little bit more um i'm trying to describe kind of how it sounds i think i think she almost sounds more like a little boy than michael yes. Kalos did as dw there's definitely i i do i i totally see that what you're saying it's 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 i wouldn't say it's more masculine but she does sound more like no. a little boy uh though i will say um I feel like I was starting to get used to it by the end of Arthur's big hit. Mm-hmm. Like with this episode in particular, it really stood out. Um, and I'm not sure if it's just like, maybe this was the first episode uh, Oliver recorded. And so he wasn't so used to delivering the DW voice. Uh, or it could just be that we weren't used to it yet. But as Arthur's big hit went along, I started to, oh, excuse me. I started to be less and less bothered by it. Yeah, I think it'll just take time for for me. Like I was just used to, you know, uh, two straight years of Michael Kalos's DW. It's going to take a little bit for Oliver Granger to warm up to me. So no disrespect intended. Uh, DW thinks she sees somebody returning the book at some point, and I love how she the shot of her using her library card like a police officer. Like the name's DW Reed. What what's the book you got there? Uh, and then it, the Tibbles are actually the ones who are returning Hop Along the Frog. Right. Well, so what was the book? There was a bait and switch. It was like Choo Choo Chuck or something? It, uh, Chippy the Choo Choo. I love – something I like in this episode that I like what Arthur does all the time is all the fake books. Yeah. Like Hop Along the pa- a Frog, uh, Tibby Choo Choo, whatever his name is. All the fake books and fake book color covers are very creative and fun. Uh, yeah, I agree. They always, they always have kind of fun with that. And those actually seem very believable. So, uh, so DW sees that they have brought the book back and then the, the, she also sees that the book is kind of like cracked and stuff on the cover. But, uh, Miss Turner says it's an old book. 
so she needs to be very careful with it. And the Tibbles again tease her that if she destroys the book, they'll take away her library card forever. There's a quick which fantasy- is not true, by the way. No, I imagine not. You would uh, probably someone once someone once brought in a book in my mom's library, uh, and the book's edges were burnt, and she was like, "How did this happen?" And the lady was like, "Well, I put it in the oven," and my mom was like, "Why?" And she was like, "To get all the germs off it." Ugh. So oh, that lady still has her library card. I wow. Okay, so I don't know. These liberal Canadian libraries might might be different than the U.S. library system, but that's right. Uh, we don't have pulleys and levers and, and contraptions that'll chain you to a desk and, and <laughs> dress you like a baby. So D.W. has this dream sequence where she like accidentally rips off the cover of Hop Along the Frog, and then like it just disintegrates, <laughs> and she. The surprise of which, because we don't know it's a dream sequence until this happens, right? It's, 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 DW sits down, she gets ready to rip off the cover of Hop Along the Frog, and much like the Donald Glover This Is America video, quickly (laughs) shocks us by DW ripping the cover square off, and at this point I still thought this was real, and I was like, oh my god, Uh, but no, we quickly realize it's a dream sequence as the rest of the book disintegrates. This is the library. Don't catch you slipping. No. Oh, no. <laughs> that's, a, that's the most I'll do. Uh, yeah, and then it gets into this, like, where DW is, like, on trial in this cavern almost, where Miss Turner is yelling at her, you can never have another library card again, and put and puts, like, a big red X on her, uh, on her card. And DW is like, no, I worked so hard for it. And it's, you know being very melodramatic as the Tibbles uh, go by saying more books for us. My favorite part of this is how she imagines Arthur. Yes. He's just this towering over her, just laughing in the fakest way. He's just, Whoa, I told you, you'd never get a library card. I told (laughs) you. Like, it's great. Arthur sounds uh, the, like a character from like Dark Souls or Bloodborne or something like how they're always kind of laughing at you no matter what you do like oh a hunter huh. 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 <laughs> and, and DW and I mean similar to the depressing visuals in those Souls games <laughs> DW just collapses in tears saying it's not fair <laughs> it's not fair it's pretty sad uh, so she is very very afraid to barely even touch hop along the frog so she just waits out the week that she has it before she has to return it because she just doesn't want to lose her library card yeah she's got it wrapped Uh, in a blanket in a box that she like she's diffusing a bomb she opens the box with oven mitts on and then the day before she's supposed to bring it back the or rather on the morning she's supposed to bring it back on the on the saturday arthur kind of talks to her about it and she's so afraid that uh and she she confides in him how afraid she is to uh, even to even touch it. She doesn't want to lose her library card, uh, even though Arthur assures her that won't happen. He offers to open the book for her, and uh, I will say this is probably my favorite part of the episode, where Arthur looks in the card in the back of the li- the library book and realizes that Hop Along the Frog is the first ever book that he took out of the library when he was DW's age. This is where you have to kind of suspend your disbelief for a little bit because I also remember when those cards got put in there and I went to – they only had them at my school library, at my elementary school. 
And mm-hmm. those cars would get replaced quite often because kids were taking out books left and right. So I, I could hardly see a public library still having the same card for back when Arthur was a kid. And also, he only just now remembered that Hopalong the Frog was his first book. Hmm. I know, it's a fun little moment, but it's a little sus. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's, you got, you got to really suspend the disbelief there. I mean, dare um, I say, I almost feel like a jerk saying this, because, again, it's for children, but yeah. I found it a little bit hokey. Yeah, I can, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to fight you on that one. It's cute, but definitely doesn't make a whole lot of sense in the story it did it did remind me of those days when you had to fill up the card in the back which seems like ancient history now i also like the imagination of arthur as a little kid just going my first book my first book i thought that was cute and then the episode ends with dw she's sad that she has to return the book because she loved it so much but then arthur reminds her that she can renew it. So DW goes back to the library, renews the book and says she's going to renew it again and again and again. And Arthur's going to have to read it to her every night. Uh, no word from us kids for this episode. So we're just getting, okay. Wow. I can't, I can't believe it. We're, we've been, we've been building it up for so long and now we're finally here. It's Arthur's big hit. Maybe one of the most popular and well-known Arthur episodes ever. I wonder what the point. word from us kids was going to be for this episode. Like, is it going to, was it just like, hey kids, we're going to fight each other today. It must have had something to do with, uh, uh, library cards. Libra- yeah. L- library. It cards wouldn't be like, all right, kids, let's hop in the octagon. <laughs> yeah. No, definitely not. Um, so just for a little context here, in case you have been off the internet for the last two years and have just discovered this Elwood city limits podcast, uh, the reason this episode is so popular is because of the Arthur Fist meme, Arthur's Fist. And I'm getting all my information here from knowyourmeme.com. Uh, it's the shot of Arthur with the clenched fist at kind of like hip level uh, to, quote unquote, describe various infuriating or frustrating circumstances. And from later in this episode, uh, the meme started in a Twitter post from user at almost JT on July 27th, 2016. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll see, see I'll, I'll give you an example here. The spread of the Arthur meme came around the same time, uh, the same year as Harambe. Oh my gosh. It's well, let me tell you this. Um, the Arthur fist clench meme is certainly more evergreen than Harambe has been. So evergreen, in fact, that uh, just this last November, LeBron James posted a picture of Arthur's fist to his Instagram account. Oh, LeBron James. And then, of course, it went uh, even further viral in the John Legend commercial that we ah, talked about in last week's episode. Thank goodness. I thought we were going to talk about LeBron Toe, and I'm glad to just move on to nice with John Legend. Oh, thank goodness. Just, just, just getting the info out there, I... Don't don't want to dwell on it for longer than we have to. So yeah, it's spread. I'm certain that you've seen some degree of it. Maybe you've even made one of the memes yourself. In which case, send that to us. I'd like to see it. But uh, yeah, it's crazy. And in a in a kind of a roundabout way, it was when this meme became popular, along with other Arthur memes, that kind of helped us decide. Well, maybe we should uh, maybe we should think about doing this Arthur podcast. Maybe the time is right because 2016. July 2016, we would have been in the pr- in the planning stages of doing Elwood City Limits. 
you know, when you put it like that, I never realized that were it not for Arthur punching DW, there might not even be Elwood City Limits or a podcast or anything like that. Yeah. We owe it to this episode. Yeah, we do, actually. That's a great point. Uh, It's, yeah, my gosh. When you put it that way, this episode may be one of the most important Arthur episodes out there. I mean, not to say that we're, you know, super important or anything like that, but... You know, we are a piece, uh, a, 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 what would you call it? Uh, an Arthur companion. Okay, uh, and we certainly wouldn't be here without that. And I feel like Arthur wouldn't have the name recognition that he has today without, uh, at least in part, to this meme. So for all of you who kept it going these last two years, thank you very much. But the episode is indeed Arthur's big hit. And beyond the fist meme, it starts with Arthur and DW getting ready to do a kind of like celebrity boxing. They're getting ready to duke it out in the ring finally. We're going to see these two these two icons clash. <laughs> We're truly at the uh uh what is it? The something of the immortals, the <laughs> showcase. The showcase of the immortals. No, there's like so many things I have to say about this. Uh I I so people talk so much about the the fist clutching beam. I had forgotten about all this stuff. Um, they're getting ready to go to this boxing ring. You know, Arthur's getting his mouth guard put in. Uh, DW's entrance involves her biking to guitar riffs down this giant, like, New Japan ramp. Uh, and then she gets to the ring. Um, this is just... DW, DW doing the Shawn Michaels Mania 12 entrance, basically. This whole thing... Like, you know me, Will. This whole thing is awesome. I was way into all of this. I also thought it was kind of crazy that they decided to sort of represent the conflict in this episode like a boxing match. Something about it's just a little odd, considering DW is like a little girl. Um, but I, it's a fantasy world, and I was kind of into it. And uh, they both have kind of boxing robes on with insignia, uh, or logo, I should say. And DW's, uh, DW's logo is uh, like a pony, and I love Arthur's. It just has a book on the back of his robe. Um, uh, Francine is the referee slash ring announcer as they do their entrances. Uh, Buster is Arthur's corner man, and Nadine is that for DW. Uh, there's, a, there's a gag where they both have like mouth guards put in, and Arthur goes, prepare to lose to DW, but because he's got the mouth guard in, they have to put up subtitles. DW can't understand him. Then she looks directly at the camera and says, uh, and kind of points to the subtitles and says, this doesn't help. I can't read. They're getting that, ready to fight. Their, uh, it's, yeah. That, I would go as far as to say, was a good joke. Good joke. <laughs> I, I, so I'm still trying to figure out the right touch for the for the good joke drop. You know what? I'm also going to leave this open. If any uh, of our audio-savvy um, Elwood City Limits listeners wants to contribute their own good joke drop, uh, send it to us by email, elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com, and it may just be part of the show going forward. Um, they're both circling each other, getting ready to fight, but then Arthur sees DW eating popcorn in the front row of the audience, and he says, two DWs? Or with the mouth guard in, and DW like says, it's a "David nope, Lynch a, movie or something." Says, "There's only yeah, they should be talking backwards." You you diabol use with the and, double gangers uh, and the backwards talk. Yeah, it's perfect. Yeah, uh, 
so she says, nope, there's only one of me. And then, I mean, we go from David Lynch to David Cronenberg here, body horror, ah. as D- the DW in the ring takes her head off, and it's Binky. And for, like, a brief couple seconds, it's Binky's face on DW's body as he climbs out of the costume that he's in, climbs out of DW's body and says, we thought you'd rather pick on somebody your own size. And I just says, that's a good point. You wait here. I'll go and find somebody. And then Biggie just chases him around the ring. It's actually pretty good that we got like a hard cut before Biggie like started beating on Arthur. But a part of me kind of wanted to see that. Yeah. It's of course they have to skate around the whole violence thing because they're going to use up their entire violence quota uh, in just a short little while. The start of this episode is that Arthur has a new project with Mr. Ratburn's class uh, that he has to build a model plane. like So like an a- out of an actual model kit. And I actually had to do this as a project when I was in grade 7. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Um, in retrospect, it was pretty cool, but I remember the model plane being really difficult to build. It was like... You had to use a certain type of glue. You had to sand down parts. It was it was a lot of work. Lego, this is not. No, I have a friend who is getting into building model Gundams, and it's not quite. I don't know if it's quite hobby grade model plane level, but I know um, it's it's far more simple than snapping A to B to C. It's excuse me, far more difficult. Uh, you have to really know what you're doing. Yeah, big times. Uh, you guys, so your friends get into gunpla? Gunpla, excuse me. How could I be so mistaken? Yes, you are correct. <laughs> uh, so Arthur is explaining this to DW, and we already kind of get the idea that she's pestering him because he keeps telling her to like leave to like leave his room so he can work on it, and she's just kind of dragging it out. Uh, comically though, she's just like, "You want to tell? You tell me to go. I'll go. Just like that. I'm gone, baby. <laughs> that kind of stuff." She does really say, "I'm gone, baby," which is hilarious. This episode is kind of a first because we get alternate Arthur outfits that we've never seen before. Uh, he has kind of different uh, clothes on when he's uh, um, painting and working on the plane. Um, he's got. Uh, in this next one, he's got a green vest on instead of like his yellow sweater. He's got like everything what that he normally has, but it's a green vest instead. And DW accidentally knocks over the paint he's using. Then in the next shot, he's showing Buster his uh, progress, and he's got on blue jeans and like a red uh, button-up shirt. He got he looks like the brawny man. It's. <laughs> It's just weird that we see, like, it's, like, three different outfits back to back to back. Maybe they're trying to show how long, like, there's a lot of time passing and this build is taking a, a extra long time just to make DW seem that much more annoying and to see, make Arthur seem that much more invested. But it's kind of weird that we see all these alternative outfits that we've never seen before in such quick succession. So, finally, Arthur finishes the plane. It looks great. It's even got, like, a little stand, and he's very, very proud of himself. Uh, this whole time throughout, you know, all of this, you know, DW has been kind of getting into the paint. She's been knocking it over. She got her hands on it. So, and so got her hand, hands wet with paint. Uh, Arthur's so proud of himself. He thinks that he's going to win a blue ribbon from NASA and be able to fly his airplane. Not like only he, is it a blue ribbon a shot from of, a at, shot of him. Uh, I think this is Chuck Yeager himself who gives Arthur the blue ribbon. Uh, Chuck, oh, really? Chuck Yeager, 
famous pilot of the plane that Arthur's building that broke the sound bra- barrier, uh, West Virginia's own. Oh, very good. I didn't pick up on that. Uh, so Arthur kind of, uh, like, this calls for a, a victory snack, so he kind of sees himself downstairs. So I got to be honest with you. Whenever I would watch this episode when I was little, I was like, oh, no, like, I, you know what? Actually, now that I think about it, so this whole next thing is where DW sneaks into Arthur's room. She plays with the plane and then, like, throws it outside because she thinks that it can fly, which models pl- model planes, of course, usually can't on their own. Uh, I remember when I would watch this episode on PBS, I would flip to another channel until this part was over oh my because, God. It ga- because it gave me such anxiety. And I got to be honest with you, watching it again – it still does because they've got the, they've got the tense music going. Arthur is completely oblivious as to what DW is doing. He's like playing downstairs and, you know, imagining all the glory that's going to come. And then the plane falls and uh, we see the plane fall through the, uh, outside the window. And it just gives me such anxiety, man. Like, does that does it did it happen for you as well? I wouldn't necessarily say anxiety, but I, I think the way it's edited together is very effective at rapid ratcheting up the tension. Um, the whole sequence, including the sort of aftermath of Arthur realizing the plane has fallen, uh, mayday, mayday. Uh, the the whole thing is cut so well, and also like the camera angles they choose, like right after when DW and Arthur are kind of meeting each other outside, the way that the camera's looking up at the building and Arthur to make him seem huge, all that stuff is very effective in eliciting like a tense response in the audience. I think I mentioned a long time ago that uh, when I, we might have been talking about like Arthur's big hit in some way. And I said that there was an Arthur YouTube poop that I really liked that oh incorporated it. Um, I found I, I I did find it. Oh, you're, it's, you're going to have to send me that as a YouTube poop historian myself. Uh, I must see it. Uh, my friends were uh, very fond of the Arthur YouTube poop around the episode where DW swears. Um, that's another classic. Oh, I don't think I've seen that one. I'll, you'll have to trade me. We'll have to swap YouTube poops here. Um, so. But the one thing I remember from the, from the YouTube poop the most is that, so, DW comes down to meet Arthur, and she says, it's like, Arthur, your plane, you built your plane all wrong. It doesn't even fly. And Arthur's like, DW, it's not supposed to. And then he catches on and goes, what? And the scene transition is the shot cracking like a picture, oh, like glass. I, I wrote this down. The, the glass shatters. It's like Stone Cold's coming out. They've never used this transition before, but it's it's like in um, Yu-Gi-Oh! when someone was mind-crushed. They literally <laughs> use that effect. <laughs> well, and I bring up the YouTube poop because in that video, they make a joke of that scene transition next to a shot from the second opening of Death Note oh where uh, Light's face shatters the same way. That's and it's just it's it's not something you expect to see in an Arthur episode. It's jarring, and especially because as soon as they go outside, it's become cloudy and it's become windy, and Arthur is just looking at his plane in disbelief. And we get a quick imagination here of Arthur flying the plane, and then suddenly it disappears as he falls to the earth, and it's implied that he dies. Like Arthur's in a in a dark headspace right now. Well, and we go right and, from that to, well, the moment that you've all been waiting for. He just socks her. Just yeah, drum roll, her. Drum, drum roll, please. Arthur clenches his fist, 
like he tells her so, like he he's very angry just like says i told you not to touch it and then just does it i told you not to touch it and then punches her you don't see the contact of the punch but it's like arthur rearing back and swinging and then dw falling to the ground clutching her shoulder and uh, so yeah. something i had misremembered is that i always thought that he punched her in the mouth in this scene but i think it was I was mixing the sort of action from this episode with the after effects of the episode where the Tibbles throw the swing into her face. Um, yes. It turns out he just punches her in the arm, which is far less violent. It turns out this actually lost some of its, some of its effect for me because we've already seen worse done to DW. Yeah, that that definitely would hurt her more, but uh, I, at least I think so. But uh, maybe they're kind of comparable considering their age difference. So DW runs away crying, obviously, and we get to we get to hear Arthur's full name as his mom calls him in, saying, "Arthur Timothy Reed, come here." So t- his middle name is Timothy Arthur T. Reed. They call him in. Uh, Dad puts a ice pack on DW's shoulder. She's afraid that they're going to amputate her arm. Uh, and mom insists that Arthur apologizes. And this is the big conflict of the episode is that Arthur doesn't feel sorry for what he did because, and as we were privy to, he's, he even says like, I told her a million times don't not to touch it. Kind of uses that as, you know, he's still very angry with her and doesn't want to reconcile the fact that like he hit her, which is of course a bad thing. And, in fact, he gets no TV for a week as punishment for doing so. And the, and he and he kind of, he makes the point of of you're not you're of like you're not being even fair to me. You're not even dealing with what sh- you didn't even do anything about what DW did to me. And m- mom and dad say, we'll deal with what she did. And in retrospect, they kind of didn't. And. <laughs> So this is weird. I I think this is implied that they'll do it off screen. Um, As as someone with a sibling, like I'm, I'm older than Michaela in a similar way, um, and I could speak to. In any case, when I would do something similar, where me and Michaela are both kind of getting at at each other's nerves, but I would do something worse. Um, My parents would use a very similar response, where sometimes it's not good to have the kids know each other's punishments because then they're going to be constantly comparing them and be like, well. I only got punished this way. She got punished that way. I think they dealt with it in a better way where they're saying, we'll deal with DW. And I just assumed that the DW conversation was happening off screen. Um, I agree with you in that, you know, they don't need to know each other's punishment. I think we needed to know. Oh, interesting. you know what I'm saying? We, the, we, the viewer. That's, I, I, think, I think that's a good point. So, so, uh, I struggle. I struggle to figure out where to get into this. Now, in. now, Will, are you saying yeah. DW deserved to be punched? Is that what you're Absol- going for this? Ab- absolutely not. That is not what I'm saying <laughs> at all. Arthur, I just want to get that out there, and thank you for you know p- p- steering me in that direction. Arthur, compl- Arthur overreacted. DW did not deserve to be punched. However, I do think that DW's punishment should have been made known to us because from just watching it as an observer, it really looks like, you know, Arthur Arthur got punished and he's made to be basically a pariah by his friends who are who are completely shocked that he would punch his little sister, and rightfully so. Um, but 
DW, who was seen to be, you know, getting on Arthur's nerves, like touching the plane, touching his paint and like all of this stuff. And for her to basically come out of it scot-free kind of doesn't sit well with me. You know what I mean? It's um, at, le- at least at least that we're aware of. And if we didn't see it on screen, then it didn't happen. Right. Maybe this is so, like a Star Wars prequels case of like, Obi-Wan and Anakin are such good friends because uh, they uh, we don't see it on screen, but that happened. Um, but I don't know. It just didn't bother me as much. It's just that the the point of this episode, like one of the big things is that obviously it's telling like violence is not the answer. And it was wrong for Arthur to do that, which is right. But it's hard to unsee the fact that DW didn't uh, have any consequences for what she did, which was also wrong. She apologizes later, to be fair. But it just kind of sticks with me in a bad way. And it's hard to let that go because as the episode goes on, everybody brings up to Arthur of just like, wow, you did the wrong. Like, Arthur, that was terrible. Uh, you shouldn't have done that. And Arthur's like, nobody even sees my side of the story. And and Muffy says, uh, because you're wrong. Well, I mean, but that's true. Like, again, I I feel like when, imagine you're telling this story to someone else, right? Like the exact same tale of events that happened to Arthur. They're still Hmm. not going to take your side. They're going to just say you were wrong straight up. And they're not going to see the gray in the situation. Like, and and it's true. This episode is really effective at making DW really super duper annoying. Throughout the episode, like, I think the part where I reached my breaking point was when she was touching the wet paint. And it's like, that doesn't benefit her. It doesn't benefit Arthur. It's bad for everybody involved. It was annoying. I wanted to hit DW, but I didn't. And that's the important difference is I think this episode had to make a statement where in the way they refuse to punish DW and in the way that all of their fr- all of Arthur's friends unequivocally come down upon Arthur negatively, I think they didn't really have the room in this episode or in this medium of a kid's show for the uh, uh, the nuance conversation of, oh, you know, DW was being really annoying and she should have known that it was going to elicit a negative reaction but on the other hand, Arthur shouldn't have punched her. I feel like when it comes to kids' TV, you only have room for the don't punch people conversation. Yeah, that's a good point. I just wanted to make sure to represent that because, A, it's how I feel. And, B, I've seen a lot of people, like, uh, especially on, say, like the TV tropes entry for Arthur, of just, like, bringing this up as something that has bothered a lot of people. And it bothered me, too. So I wanted to be sure that we we talked about it a little bit. But at the end of the day, Arthur definitely shouldn't have punched DW. That's that's not that's not what's being argued here. This also ties into Binky. This episode is a lot more of a Binky episode than I remembered it being because throughout the episode as well, Binky has a through line of, you know, he says he's shocked that Arthur hit his sister, which leads to a conversation of the tough customers. Um it's Rattles Molly and then the brown dog kid. I don't know if we get a name from him. Uh, and they're kind of uh, trying to remember the last time Binky hit somebody because their idea is that, of course, Binky's hit somebody. He's hit dozens of people, but they can't exactly remember anything. Uh, my favorite is is the is the dog kid because he's got some... He's like Binky's hype man. So he's got some great lines about how, like how great Binky is and how they shouldn't question him. Uh, My favorite one is he says uh, that Binky's afraid of no one is a well-known factoid. 
Uh, yeah, uh, Binky doesn't have to remind us of his past glorious fights. <laughs> yes, it's so good. It's so it's so toadyish. Um, Everybody's toadyish. Binky, like when Binky's like, I for one am shocked. Is that's just a great line as well early on in the, the episode. How could you be shocked about somebody hitting someone hitting someone? Uh, so eventually, it comes down to the fact that like. Uh, the dog kid says that he could sock the very next kid who turns the corner, and of course it turns out to be Arthur. So Great Binky comedic timing on this reveal, too. He's like, he could sock the next kid walking by, and Arthur comes by, he's like whistling. He's walking like John Lennon in that one picture with like his legs really wide apart. Like Arthur's yeah. just begging to be punched at this point. Uh, and he, d- he, he doesn't because, as he says, he doesn't feel like it. But then Molly lays down the uh, lays down the law of the next time you see this kid, you sock him. So the next time he sees Arthur, he has to hit him. So Binky's idea is that if he never sees Arthur again, he doesn't have to hit him. So he, he's being peer pressured into this, but finds a uh, somewhat dubious workaround. So we get this whole montage of Binky desperately trying not to look at Arthur. And all of Binky's and Arthur's friends are interpreting this as how Binky is so ashamed of Arthur that he can't even look at him for what he did to DW. Uh, so like he goes around with like a book over his head or like around his head. So it's blocking his peripheral vision. So he doesn't see him. And then finally makes it through a day of school. And it's just like, it's just like I made it through a whole day without seeing Arthur. Now I just have the rest of my life. Eventually it ends up that Binky's with the tough customers and he's like, I never saw that Arthur kid. Or that glasses kid, I should say. So uh, I never really had to hit him. But then, of course, Arthur runs up to him and kind of has his pencil that he dropped when he was walking kind of sideways. And so Arthur is like, again, you mentioned begging to be hit. It's just like Arthur. It's a shot of Arthur holding his pencil with just the most unassuming smile on his face. And Biggie just sweats over it for a while. Then he rears back and punches Arthur in the shoulder. Again, not showing us the actual punch itself, just sort of a cocking back hard cut to Arthur on the ground. Binky cocks the fist, slams his fist on the ground. Oh, no. Ooh, ah, Superman punch. The tough customers are satisfied that Binky hits somebody, but he walks away in what seems to be shame, and Arthur's, uh, Arthur's shoulder is in pain. He eventually gets it gets it iced at home, and this is kind of where we hammer home the uh, the moral the moral of this. As Arthur is getting the ice on his uh, on his arm, it's just like you know it I felt embarrassing. I you know it I uh, all this kind of stuff, and and Dad says, "Well, now you know how D.W. felt," and Arth- and Arthur's like, "Yeah, but that's D.W. Binky Barnes is huge." So kind of hinting at you know the size disparity between the two by you know illustrating Arthur with the biggest uh, eight-year-old out there versus Arthur with DW making the size differences at least a little bit comparable also okay so Arthur's getting his arm iced yes but then they wrap it with bandages is that necessary does he have a bruise at worst like yeah probably even if he dislocated like what's going on here uh yeah, I I can't tell you that there. I mean, unless Binky has like really sharp knuckles. Oh my god! And he like Binky hit him with the Wolverine knuckles. Yeah. 
Okay, so I, I guess since we talked about you know part of the moral of the episode earlier, so the way this wraps around, of course, is that Arthur does know how he made DW feel when he punched her, and they both kind of apologize to each other. To, and as I said, to be fair, DW does apologize for breaking his plane. Although she goes like, "What kind of a plane doesn't fly?" Arthur's like, "A model plane," and she's like, "I don't know that. I'm only four. I'm like, yeah, all right. So there's that political the science other- degree at its work. <laughs> yeah, she uh, charisma checked her way out of that one. Um, this is the other problem that I have with this, with the message, and maybe we can get into this a little bit. So the the problem here began with violence. You know, Arthur punched D.W. and so you know became an outcast among his friends, and which led to in turn him getting punched. So in a way that I don't think they intended, like Arthur learns a lesson because of violence. So they essentially solve a problem of violence with more violence. Arthur only understands when he gets hit. He's not made to understand through like empathy or what have you. I mean, him getting hit does give him empathy for the situation, but I understand what you mean. And they again, they do make they do kind of have a potential point here with like you know he says Binky Barnes is huge, uh, you know Binky Barnes to Arthur, Arthur to D.W. But I feel like it could have been made clearer, especially for kids. Like that's the only kind of talking point. Then after that, they apologize. The bottom line here is I think that there's a better way to make a point about why physical violence is not the answer to disagreements, and I feel like the message of this episode is muddled at best. Hmm. And that that's how I feel. Uh Lucas, you've kind of uh your your opinion I think is a, is not as kind of in the middle as mine is, I think. I, I don't want to put words in your mouth or anything. Well, yeah, it's uh, so uh, if we're getting into final judgments, I guess we might as well start with Arthur's big hit. Uh, uh it's, it's so, so, sorry. I, I don't mean to rush us into there. We just got a little bit more of episode left. I I can get through it really quick if Oh, you okay. No problem. Okay. Uh, the rest of the episode is just Arthur going to Binky. He says, thank you, which Binky is surprised by. Uh, I, I did like at the end here, the tough customers come up to Arthur and they say, it's the kid who got hit by Binky and lived. As if Binky's like, what? If it's, as if Binky's one punch man himself. I know. They, they're still keeping up this Binky facade. Like, they, we've learned multiple times that Binky has never assaulted, but with the exception of Arthur in this episode, Binky's never laid a hand on someone in his life, yet he's still keeping up this tough guy facade, which I think is a fun detail. Yeah, the tough customers are still scared of him because he forcibly defounds the tough customers. He doesn't, uh, under the guise of any club that makes you do something you don't want to do is is dumb. And then threaten and then threatens everybody. Uh, like if you want to make something out of it. So the end of the episode is all of the all five of them going off to the sugar bowl to have like a milkshake or something. Uh, but not as the tough customers, as just friends. So, yeah, tough customers defunct as of now, or are they? I guess we'll have to wait and find out. All right, so that's the end of the episode. Uh, we'll go. Let's go against uh, uh, formula a little bit. Let's talk about. Arthur's big hit first off. So, uh, Lucas, you were kind of getting into it a little bit there. I'd love to hear what you thought of the episode as a whole and also of the message. Well, I think, so Arthur's big hit, I I, I think I was excited for it and my my expectations were kind of lowered by library card because library card is a very, you want to talk about this, this, 
combination of episodes is a very emotional whiplash in terms of the stakes Arthur episodes can have. They go from not being able to write your name properly to physical violence. Uh, and so I think Arthur's big hit, I uh, was in the right state of mind for it. Um, really liked the creative opening. Um, and I think it's a funny episode throughout, given the serious subject matter. But I, I do see what you're saying about how Arthur didn't really learn about violence except after it was perpetuated against him. But I also think that that's sometimes uh, the way things work out and in real life. And I see looking at it here, dissecting it, Arthur doesn't really learn the message the right way. But the goal, I think, is for the viewer in itself to learn the message the right way. And you've sort of spoken against that argument already as well in saying that, well, the viewer doesn't see how DW is punished whatsoever, which is a good point. But I, I still, mm, it's tricky because it is such a difficult topic. And I have a feeling that they were very limited in what they could do with this episode. You know, there's a very conscious effort to avoid showing any sort of the actual violence taking place. Um, so they definitely had to come on hard and fast about like, okay, like anytime someone talks about someone getting punched, unless it's the tough customers, they have to be talking about it in a negative light. Uh, but I don't know as a whole, like in terms of entertainment value, I really enjoyed the episode. I thought it was a fun episode. The sure the moral kind of falls apart when put under scrutiny. Uh, but it's certainly an entertaining watch. Both these episodes, uh, flew by. That's definitely true. Uh, for better, for better or worse, like no matter what I feel, but like if this was a a brisk watch, and it's and it's hard to almost understand why, but I guess that's just the pacing of it all. Uh, okay, so I've kind of I've kind of got into my feelings uh, on Arthur's big hit in there. It's very interesting to kind of view this post, you know, the apex of the meme, and. It seems to be really remembered for the not just the image of Arthur's fist, but also I feel like everybody does remember like that's the episode where Arthur hits DW. So that's really kind of a watershed moment of the show. It's like that's something if you've seen the show, you don't forget. And the I guess the quote unquote politics of the show aside for this episode, um, the the moment itself and you know leading up to it. Like, it still is very good, very tense. I mentioned, like, I was getting anxious watching it, and I'm, I'm like, 27 years old. You know, I know what's going to happen. I've seen this before. But it taps into that anxiety that I, that I felt as a kid, and I think that that's uh, worth being celebrated. It's also got a lot going for it. It's a Binky episode, which is great. I love Binky. It uh, gives more room to the tough customers, which I think are always fun side characters. Uh, especially these three. I th feel like you could have given Rattles more to say, but that's okay. Um, you could always give Rattles more to say. <laughs> absolutely you could. Uh, I wonder I wonder if we'll hear from him again. I really hope so. And um, I, think, I think you made a great point in that there's only so much with the topic of physical violence that they could show and that they could do for... Uh, the channel they were on, the audience they were writing for. So I imagine that what they had to do was a uh, a tight wire act that would have been hard for a lot of writers. So I don't want to come down on them wholly for what they did. I don't think that it was accomplished in the way that they wanted or intended. 
I feel like things could have been better, but in like as I guess as an educational piece, I've seen better in terms of like de-stressing physical violence and that sort of thing. Uh, as an artistic piece, as an episode, I think this is when the more I talk about it, the more that this is good. Oh yeah. So definitely. it so it's funny how like the big the meat of the episode you know, the hit and everything and teaching about it is not great. Everything around it is really good. So I'm, I, I guess I'm kind of of two minds. We're going to have to let this sit a little bit more since we've talked about it. Uh, but I think that's, I mean, that's the mark of an important episode. It makes you think about it years and years after it aired 1999. So that's nearly 20 years ago. No, excuse me. Uh, yeah, t- nearly 20 years ago. So crazy how this still has cultural cash. Even now, uh, really quick about DW's uh, library card. I I didn't like it. I, I th- there were some fu- there were some cute parts. Like I liked the imaginations because they were really out there. Uh, I I'm glad you brought up Terry Gilliam. There is a bit of uh, a Gilliamness to uh, to this. Great great uh, great ad there with Brazil, uh, and some of the lines were funny. But I it especially compared with. Arthur's big hit. It seemed pretty low stakes, and you know, uh, didn't really do much for me as an adult. May I guess I'd have to be more in the kids' state of mind to get more out of this one. Um, I I think it's it's also a factor of it's kind of a product of the pairing. Like I don't think Library Card was a good uh, match with Big Hit. Um, you know, we should start treating these Arthur episodes, these two we watch, as like basically like a, a, a wine and meal pairing, like the way they go together. Um, and this one just didn't necessarily work. But uh, I think Library Card is an episode I started out really not liking. Um, the drama with DW and her name I couldn't get behind. But as the episode kind of changed its focus and it became more about DW trying to keep the book safe and all of that stuff, I I really got a kick out of that. And it was DW's freak out when she was going to uh, uh, go sign her name and sort of how she broke down in the line was really good. Uh, again, her ripping the book in that dream sequence is just, mwah, just a, a really great moment. But besides that, the rest of this episode's pretty skippable, IMO. Yeah, I agree. And... Which which is kind of a shame because <laughs> I feel like I set myself up for this with season three, but you know I took a look at the episode titles in this in the season. And I was like, oh boy, I can't wait for this. Like I hyped myself up. It's like season four is going to be great, and so it didn't start out great. I'd say I think in the end it started out pretty good, but I was expecting a little more. So maybe that was I think maybe I my expectations were a bit too high. So uh, I'll have to learn how to learn to manage that. And we're, we're, we're going to get into some stuff in season four and that I'm really excited for. So what a, what a way to start it off with one of the most important Arthur episodes of all time and DW's library card. Okay. Lucas, there it is. Uh, the Arthur fist meme has been, uh, th- I mean, that's it. That's other than putting that as our, uh, as our episode cover. Uh, other than retweeting a bunch of Arthur Fist memes this week, I mean, what else is there to say? Um, if you hit your sister, that's terrible. That's what there's there to say. I think it's uh, 
uh, Buster who says that line or Fern, one of the people that are giving him the gears about it. Yeah. Um, all right. So Elwood city limits back at it once again. Uh, if you would like to interact with us as we end off the episode here, there are several ways you can do that. Facebook.com slash Elwood City Limits on Twitter at ECL Podcast. Tumblr, send us an ask over at ElwoodCityLimits.tumblr.com. You can send us an email like Yoshi did at ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. If you would like access to exclusive audio on the weeks that we're not able to do a regular uh, episode, and if you would like to thank us in a monetary way, uh, Patreon.com slash Elwood City Limits, become a supporter. A backer. And of course, you can listen to us on elwoodcitylimits.libsyn.com, where the entire back catalog is. It's also on Apple Podcasts and on the Google Play Store. All right, Lucas, we're going full steam ahead into season four next week. I'm wondering if any of these bring back any memories as we get closer and closer to your favorite Arthur episode. Oh, my goodness. That's in season four? It is in season oh, four. Oh, that's exciting. So next week, it's going to be Hide and Snake. And Muffy's new best friend. Nothing? No, no. Um, I'm trying to think. I, I, if Muffy's new best friend is what I think it is, it'll be a fun time. Uh, hide and Snake, on the other hand, nothing. All right. Well, we'll have to see how we feel about that when we get there. Thanks for joining us. Uh, if you have any thoughts on this episode, we would love to hear it. And I really hope that... Uh, that you uh, come back with us the next time. I said next week, but hey, it could be any time. So that's why, uh, yeah, being on the Patreon so good, just in case we miss a week, uh, you don't have to miss a week without us at all. Or maybe you're just waiting waiting for us to take a break again. I don't know. <laughs> uh, my name's Will Young. Thanks again for joining us for Elwood City Limits and for Lucas Mancini. She can't even spell D. Uh, we'll see you. <laughs> Uh, that just caught me funny. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll see you whenever, uh, kids. That's all for now. <laughs> waka waka. Woo! <laughs>